Ladies and gentlemen, the Brit Pack is back. Simon Head from Rochester in the UK, Shamak Sandu from Toronto in Canada, and all hell is breaking loose, Mr. Sandu. We've got big fights coming out of the ether. We've got a new heavyweight champion of the world. Even Leon Edwards has got himself a big fight. We've got so much to talk about on this week's show. We are going to do our best to cram it into an hour, but we can't promise that we'll keep it under 60 minutes. We will do our best, though. Sandu, are you ready for this one? It's going to be a big show. Mate, I am so ready for it. We're a couple of days delayed this week, but in, in, if, if anything, it's going to work in our favour because there was so much to talk about to dissect, to, di to discuss and review and oh my god there's so much going on but before we get into everything a uh, couple of bits and pieces um hey i got my first piece for the bbc written and published last week and it was a, a an incredibly interesting piece on francis Ngannou. it was my first interview with a fighter in over two years my first written piece in two years so always good to to get a byline for for the beeb i'm particularly uh, proud of that and uh, there'll be some more pieces coming, you know, down the down the road from me uh, for for the BBC. So that was nice. But more importantly, you have some exciting news to share. And if anyone missed it on social media, the floor is yours, Simon. Yeah, no, it's it's been it's been it's been a tricky time of late. But I'm in a position now. I, I can I can kind of announce this. I am now joining the uh, the Daily Express. I'm going to be working. For them as the sport audience editor, which basically means I'm going to be writing about virtually every sport under the sun. Uh, unfortunately, it does mean that I'm leaving my position with MMA Junkie, which I'm sad that I have to do that. But these things need to be done sometimes. I've, I'm leaving an incredible team and, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's a shame that I wasn't able to continue there. But I've got a fantastic opportunity with the Daily Express back home here in the UK. And yet yeah, I'll still be covering MMA. Absolutely. I'll be getting as much MMA coverage up on their, on their site as possible. Um, obviously, giving some shine to the Brits, covering all the big names, covering all the big events. But I'll be covering all the other sports that I love, the motorsport, rugby, cricket, tennis, Formula One, MotoGP. We've got so much going on. We've got the Olympics this year. We've got the Euro, Euros this year, Euro 2020, uh, delayed from last year. That's this year. We've got the Ryder Cup. We've got so much going on. And uh, I'm going to be a busy man. So, yeah, I'm a happy man. And uh, the BBC stuff will continue from my side of things as well. So the uh, BBC BBC Sports MMA section is pretty much the home of the Brit Pack these days. So, uh, you know, it's, uh, you know, we're both on there uh, yes. putting, putting content out. Normally uh, I'm doing uh, fight night reports. So whenever there's a big UFC event, uh, you'll probably see my, see my name on there and... Uh, Sandu dropping some really interesting content. And I know there is more in the pipeline. So, uh, yeah, things are going well for uh, the pair of us on the Brit Pack. Long may it continue. And uh, thanks to everyone who's reached out with, with messages over the last few days. It has meant a lot. So, uh, yeah. But leaving all that self-aggrandizing nonsense to one side, let's let's kick on with the show because we've got a ton to talk about. And let's just, let's just kick straight off with UFC 260, Sandu. It was a huge fight. Francis Ngannou knocking out Stipe Miocic. I went with Stipe Miocic. I think you might have gone with Francis Ngannou, if I remember rightly. And yep. uh, you ended up on the uh, on, on the winning side of that of that equation. All very cagey in the first round. I think they were both quite wary of each other. Ngannou looking really calm and patient, very different to uh, past fights. And then uh, Miocic looked like he just stung him with a good a good shot. And got a little bit excited, 
and Ngannou just slept him uh, in clinical, brutal, vicious fashion. And Emma Main, I don't think there is any doubt, surely, that the baddest man on the planet is Francis Ngannou. And I'm including boxing in this as well. I don't think there's a scarier heavyweight in the world than Francis Ngannou. And he's now the undisputed UFC heavyweight champion, completing an incredible, literally a rags to riches kind of journey from Cameroon to homelessness on the streets of Paris to the heavyweight title in uh, in just a span of a few years. Remarkable stuff. And uh, yeah, you wrote about him this week, Sandu. I mean, it's an incredible, incredible story. If you can't be inspired by Francis Ngannou, then you've got something wrong with you, honestly, because what this guy has been through, what he has risked, literally he has risked his life and literally take a, a spin on the roulette wheel by traveling up through the African continent into Europe, you know, so many setbacks, discovers MMA, completely amateur and slowly makes his way up the ranks, moves to Las Vegas, ends up in the UFC, fails at the first time of asking, then goes on this incredible run. And this might be, Simon, and, and there's been some great runs to UFC Championship Gold, but knocks out Curtis Blades, knocks out Cain Velasquez, knocks out Junior DeSantos, knocks out Jarzinho Rosenstroke, and then knocks out Stipe Miocic. Five wins in a row, five finishes, and the longest fight was that Miocic fight, 52 seconds of the second round to be crowned the UFC heavyweight champion. The scariest man on the planet, the baddest man on the planet, and the world is his oyster. And the UFC right now, after a long time, and this is no knock on Stipe whatsoever, they have a legitimate, marketable, blockbuster, box office attraction in their UFC heavyweight champion who is absolutely willing to play ball in terms of promoting himself, doing media, and man, his highlight reel speaks for itself. If there's any casual combat sports fans, that's what they're after. Uh, a fighter that they can latch on to, watch a couple of times a year if they're not perhaps watching week in, week out like you, me, and hardcore MMA fans are. And yeah, just just a great overall story. There was no bad blood between him and Stipe whatsoever. Nothing but respect before and after the fight. Stipe still, as, as things currently stand, is the greatest heavyweight in UFC history. Will he get another crack? Will they do the trilogy fight? We can obviously get into that. But just speaking about the man himself, the man of the moment, the man of the hour, Francis Ngannou, just congratulations to him, his team. They put in the work and they weren't deterred by failing at the first attempt. They, they got back on the horse and uh, man, what, what an incredible story. One of, the, one of the best stories in MMA history, in my opinion. When you look back at the rags to riches stories and what makes a fighter a fighter, you know where they come from, Francis Ngannou is right up there, mate. Yeah, absolutely. And the most in interesting thing about all of this for me is that he's not the finished article yet. You know, this is a guy who he's still developing as a mixed martial artist. When he fought Stipe first time, he was really green. Like he was just a, a really raw knockout artist. Now under the tutelage of Eric Nixick, head coach at Extreme Couture in Las Vegas, where He's now living with uh, with with Nick Sick, I think, or it has been. He's been sort of taken into the family, and it's, it's been some of the some of the video that we've seen online of the Nick Sick family sort of cheering Ngannou on from home was really heartwarming stuff.
he's beginning to knock off these rough edges now in the gym and becoming a bit more calm, a bit more composed, a bit more polished. But he's not the finished article yet. You know, I'm sure we're going to talk a bit about John Jones a little bit later on on the show. John Jones is what you see when someone has been at this game for a really long time, is an elite competitor and has sharpened their skills to the point of absolute elite level excellence. Francis Ngannou isn't there yet. He's not anywhere near there yet. But what he, the level he's at right now is good enough to defeat the greatest UFC heavyweight of all time and to do it decisively. So, you know, the sky really is the limit for this guy. And uh, as you say, to learn about his backstory and to not be inspired and to not be happy for the guy, um, you know, you'd have to you'd have to be pretty cold-hearted to not be not be completely completely elated for the guy. You know, Stepan Miocic, another one of the sport's real good guys. Um, and I think we waxed lyrical about him on last week's show. And there's always there's always a loser in these matchups, you know. And it, unfortunately, it was him. And you know, he put out a really classy statement in defeat. Um, and uh, it remains to be seen whether he'll he'll get another uh, you know another crack, or even if he'll get back to the summit again. But if if this isn't if 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 this is the end of Stipe as a championship level fighter in the heavyweight division, and I'm not saying it is. But if it is, what a career that man has had at the top. Worked his way up the hard way. Had a couple of slip-ups on the way. I remember him losing to Stefan Struve. I think it was in Nottingham. I was cage-side for that. And that was a shock loss at the time. Um, but he bounced back from that. Worked his way up. Became a two-time heavyweight champion of the world. Beat Daniel Cormier twice. Um, and with no asterisks. Uh, sorry, asterisk next to the, the, those defeats. You know, and... Um, you can't say enough good things about him. So, but this is Francis Ngannou's era now. And the big question I wanted to ask you, Sandu, given what we know of the UFC heavyweight division, if I was to set the over-under on successful Francis Ngannou title defenses at three, which would equal uh, Stipe Miocic's record. Oh, no, actually, no, it wouldn't. It would, four is the record, but we'll say three. Over, under on three, would you be going over or under, given what you know about who else is knocking around and sniffing around for a title shot? Because we're either going to see a, a, a Francis Ngannou heavyweight dynasty like Tyson back in the 80s, or we could see a situation with Francis Ngannou with all his fanfare, wins the title, and then loses it in his next fight because John Bones Jones is lurking around the corner. Um what do you reckon? What's your gut feeling based on based on how things are right now? I think it's fascinating. That's a great question. And I think the the if the equation includes John Jones, then I might be inclined to say under. If the equation doesn't include John Jones, then I am inclined to say over. And all respect to the other heavyweights, all respect to Francis Ngannou, but John Jones, I mean, the guy is a proven winner. He doesn't lose fights. And it's, and is this, we're not talking about a guy that's 10 and 0, 12 and 0, 13, 14, 15 and 0, and is a prospect on his way, on his way up, you know, with a, a padded record on the regional circuit protecting his O. No, this is a guy that's, you know, for, 
for the vast majority of, of his professional fighting career in the UFC at the highest level, and he hasn't lost. Forget that DQ to, to Matt Hamill. Uh, uh, I hate the fact that we even have to bring that up as an asterisk every time we talk about John Jones, quote unquote, being undefeated, but he is undefeated in, in all of our eyes. And man, it, it's such a fascinating matchup. If Francis Ngannou is able to continue to get better, and we saw vast improvements in his performance against DP Mio just this, this second time around, when he stuffed his takedown, I was like, oh, wow interesting when he was hitting him with a head kick i'm like what and then even just the way he was able to compose himself and and not completely gas out after that first round and really take advantage of the opening when it presented itself in the second round i'm like wow francis Ngannou is continuing to improve now if he doesn't fight john jones until maybe a year or two from now and he continues to improve if he ends up fighting other top contenders like Derek Lewis, Alexander Volkov, and the list goes on and on. I can just see him getting better and better. Obviously, with John Jones being in the equation, that changes things up considerably because it all comes down to can John Jones withstand, you know, the force, the brute force that is Francis Ngannou. And the one thing we've seen, you know, historically is John Jones doesn't have knockout power. So his strategy, one would think would be to outpoint Ngannou over the course of five rounds, or if he's able to get him down to the ground, just you know, hit him with enough ground and pound where the referee has to pull you off. So, man, I I'm going to... Right now, Simon, gun to my head, I'm going to say over because of his recent form. I mean, five wins in a row, all finishes. If he can just continue that run of form with that belt over his shoulder... Maybe he's got every chance in the world to to break that, you know, heavyweight record of title defenses. Why not? Yeah, I the way I see this is, if I'm John Jones, I want to fight Francis Ngannou as early as possible, as early as possible. Get that fight booked as swiftly and as quickly as possible, because the longer he has in uh, in camp, or the longer he's got to prepare, this is Francis Ngannou, the worse it could potentially be. For, for John Jones. I was watching that fight against Stipe. My reaction to the stuff takedown defense was very similar to yours. It was like, oh boy, the game just changed, right? Because Stipe had the boxing advantage, I think, in terms of output variety of shots. I genuinely thought he had the boxing advantage. I thought he'd have probably the, the footwork advantage. but And I thought, crucially, he'd have the wrestling advantage. And as soon as that was taken off the table... It was like okay, we've got problems here in the, in 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 the Stepo Miocic camp because once you once you can't take a man like that off off his feet, you've got a serious problem. And the thing I would say is, Francis Ngannou with takedown defense is scary. If Eric Nixick can get leg kicks into Francis Ngannou's game uh, in a major way between now and his next fight, Francis Ngannou with the with the sort of leg kicks that a man of his size could potentially deliver plus takedown defense, plus everything we know he's already got in terms of punch power, then um, that is a truly, truly terrifying prospect for anybody. Um, yeah, and if I'm John Jones, I want that fight as soon as possible. Um, I think Jones's best chance is to get the fight down and try and submit him or just control him for five rounds. And Jones has got the pedigree to negotiate his way through a five-round fight. The one thing he has never really faced uh, in his run as the UFC light heavyweight champion is someone with that sort of concussive, legitimate 
one-shot scary knockout power. Cormier could hit. You know, he had he had some he had some knockout power on him, but not to the degree that we're talking about Francis Ngannou. We thought we were going to see it with the Anthony Rumble Johnson fight. You know, they were all set to fight. That fight never happened. If that fight had happened, I think that would have been an interesting sort of precursor to what hopefully we're going to see later this year. But the prospect of the ultimate technician in John Jones against the most destructive force possibly to ever have walked into the octagon in Francis and Ghana is fascinating. You know, if the the fight analysts out there, you know, your Dan Toms, your Luke Thomases, your Robin Blacks, people like that, who love to sit there and pour over Dan Hardy, sit there and pour over fight footage and try and break down the nuances of it in far more detail than, you know, than I do. Um, that that's manna from heaven for them. They're going to love this because there's so many intangibles that you've got to try and work out. And I just hope that this fight happens because we're seeing a lot of public negotiation on social media, Sandu. And when I say public negotiation, it's John Jones being, being vocal. And let me put on record straight away. I'm largely in agreement with John Jones. John Jones should be getting paid top money for this fight. He is the greatest champion in UFC history. He's the one stepping up. Um, and he's taking on the most dangerous test of his career for the heavyweight championship of the world, the biggest prize in the sport. Damn right. He should be getting the biggest payday of his career as should Francis Ngannou, by the way. Um, so it's not just Jones. We're talking about it's both men. And what I don't agree with is the way that Jones tends to go about things with the whole tweet and delete tactic that he likes to do. And a lot of what he's put out there today, even today he's put stuff out there. A lot of what he's putting out there makes a lot of sense, but it's like, we don't need to see this. This is for you and Hunter Campbell or for you and Dana White or Mick Maynard to sit down and just work through this and say, look, this is the biggest prize in the sport. I am the best champion you've ever had. This is the scariest champion you've ever had. And this fight is ready to happen. I think all they need to do is get around the table, thrash out a deal that's going to make sense for everybody concerned. Do that all in the quiet. Just get it done. No matter how long it takes, get it done. And then hopefully, ideally at Allegiant Stadium, home of the Las Vegas Raiders, at some point later this year, we might get to see this fight with a with a big crowd. Um, the NFL commissioner um, has announced this week that they're hoping to go back to full crowds at some point this season in the NFL. So if they're doing full crowds for the Las Vegas Raiders, you can bet they'll do full crowds for a, for a UFC event. So it looks as if, you know, stuff is already starting to come together in that regard. And uh, it's a fight that has to happen. But I, I don't like the public negotiation thing. It doesn't sit well with me. I don't think it achieves anything, really. I don't, I don't think it warms people to John Jones's case, even though a lot of what he says makes sense. So um, I just hope that for all of this bluster and everything, the fight gets booked and we don't end up with uh, what might have been conversation when it comes to this matchup because we've had that before. We've had it plenty of times before. We never got Ronda Rousey versus Chris Cyborg. We never got Brock Lesnar versus Fedor. We never got John Jones versus Anson Silva. We never got Anson Silva versus GSP. And the list goes on and on. There's a bunch of big money quote-unquote super fights that were talked about. There was fan interest there for it. And there was potential for the UFC 
to make these fights happen. But for one reason or another, behind the scenes, the deals just never got done. And what's mind-blowing to me, Simon, and I don't know if, if you agree or, or think in the same way, is John Jones has been out of action now for, what, a year or so? And we basically know he's been preparing. He, he relinquished his light heavyweight title. It's basically been out there that he's now preparing to pack on the weight to make this eventual move up, up to heavyweight. And on record, Dana White has said on multiple occasions, you know, that's the fight to make. You know, the winner of this fight should be fighting John Jones. Why hasn't, or, you know, yeah, why hasn't a deal already been done? Why didn't they already have something in place with John Jones and his management team to say, hey, listen, here's the deal if Stipe wins, or here's the deal if Francis wins. And if they said no, then they could have gone back and forth over the many, many weeks and months prior leading up to this fight so that whoever won between Francis and Stipe, they knew at least on the John Jones, John Jones side of the equation, they had a deal in place. The fact that there was no deal in place prior to this fight, the fact that John Jones was on this marathon tweet-a-thon and it's still going on to, to this day and he's kind of saying things out in public and he's not happy with the UFC, cut me already, I'm depressed. And he said today that the, you know, the latest that he's been talking about is around 8 to 10 million, which is not satisfactory uh, you know, for him. The fact that Dana White at the post-fight press conference you know, didn't exactly hype up John Jones or promote him in any way, shape or form as a potential threat uh, to France and Ghana moving forward. And, and in, if anything... Kind of, you know, said, "Hey, listen, I think if I'm John Jones, I'm going at the to, to middleweight to 185 pounds. It's just unfortunate and sad, you know. If if, if all the parties, Simon, were all in agreement and we're all able to row in the same direction, I'm not saying this would break the record of Khabib and Connor. I think it would get pretty damn close because the thirst that I am seeing." online and on social media as i'm sure you are for 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 john jones to go up to heavyweight to challenge francis Ngannou for the ufc heavyweight championship it's been a while it's been a while since i'm since i've seen so much chatter and so much anticipation for a potential fight and it's it'll be such a shame if we don't get it because this is absolutely 100 percent the fight to make and if we end up getting Ngannou versus lewis great That'd be a, that'd be a, a fantastic fight, but it'll it'll almost feel like you know Plan B. It'll it, it, it'll feel it, it'll be nice, but it'll it'll just feel a little bit underwhelming, just given the trajectory that we've seen so far online of a potential Ingarnu Jones clash. So it's it still remains to be seen if they can get things done the thing is if francis Ngannou is completely unscathed he's good to go as soon as possible and he wants to be active and he wants to continue to make his payday and i agree with you this isn't just about john jones getting paid this is about francis Ngannou getting paid as well so it's going to be fascinating to see how this all plays out and i'm sure it'll continue to play out through interviews and social media like it has done in the past yeah, and I'm I'm a big fan of Derek Lewis, right? I've I've been fortunate enough to spend a bit of time around the man. He's hilarious, right? He's abs- he's top he's top value. He's a lovely guy, um, and uh, had the pleasure of actually watching one of his final training sessions at Bishop Gorman um, in in Vegas before uh, before he fought Francis Ngannou, coincidentally. Uh, but 
let's not let's not have short memories about this. The UFC have got a job on their hands because when when they're putting fights together and they're pulling out the fight footage, especially when it comes to a rematch, um, there's a narrative. There's something that's happened already, and they can that that gets used to push the story of the rematch. The problem that the UFC has is the narrative of Francis Ngannou and Derek Lewis is that their first fight sucked, right? It was one of the worst heavyweight fights. Given the hype that was around it, right, everyone, and I'll hold my hands up, I was as guilty as anyone. This fight can't, this fight cannot fail to deliver. This is going to be massive. Two of the biggest knockout artists we've seen in the UFC. This is going to set fire to the octagon. This is going to be amazing. They went out there and they laid a great big egg in the middle of the T-Mobile Arena. The whole thing was terrible. They barely touched each other. It was like, it was like some sort of performance art for three rounds. It was, it was, it wasn't fun, right? And it was the last thing we were expecting. And it was, it was bizarre. The whole thing was bizarre. And when you go back in history and you look at really hugely hyped fights that just completely failed to deliver, Francis Ngannou versus Derek Lewis is right up there on that list. But we're going to do number two, and we're going to do that over the John Jones fight. Come on, come on. You know what I mean? It's like, yeah. It's not like they've got some ace they can pull out of the back pocket and go, guess what, guys? Brock's here. No, that's not going to happen. Guess what, guys? Fedor's here. That's not going to happen. Plus, he's too old, right? They've not got any of this. They, you know, Derek Lewis is the deserving next man in line. But because of what happened before, the clamor for him to get the fight, um, other than the fact that he's a popular guy among hardcore fans, people are going to go, well, hang on, they fought before and it was terrible. So the UFC have got to make this John Jones fight for all manner of reasons. Number one, it's as Dana White would like to say, it's the fight to make. It is the fight to make. It's the, it's the best guy in the world versus the scariest guy in the world. Book the damn fight. Do the best deal you can possibly do with everyone concerned and let's see the fight. Um, but, oh, it would be an absolute travesty if we didn't get that fight this year. And I, I really, really do hope that, amongst all of the bluster and the BS and the bombast that we're getting online right now on social media, that all of this is just the front or all of this is just early, early sort of uh, posturing. And that when they actually get around the table and thrash this out, we get a pair of bout agreements signed with a date and hopefully a full stadium of fans. And we get to see the biggest heavyweight title fight in UFC history, because that is what it will be. So, Huge things, hopefully, for the heavyweight division moving forward. Francis Ngannou, and with all due respect to Derek Lewis, hopefully John Jones, and then big Derek can take on the winner. Um, very quickly, Sandy, because I don't think we should go through the entire 260 card. We've got so many big topics to talk about. just wanted to talk to you about the co-main event very briefly. Tyron Woodley, and this is a really interesting one. Tyron Woodley had lost three in a row going into this one, and... Looked like his neck was on the chopping block a little bit, you know. He, he, despite the fact his defeats had come against elite level opposition, he was on a he was on a three fight skid. Didn't look like his normal self. Things were not looking good for the chosen one. Takes on Vicente Luque, who hugely respected, has never quite hit that height to get him up into the the very top echelon at 170 pounds. Woodley comes out, looks fantastic early on. Really pushes the pace on Luke. Looks to have Luke in trouble. And all of a sudden, Luke flicks a switch inside his head, rocks Woodley badly. And then against 
all better judgment. I thought, okay, finish the man. He's there. He's bare, he's hanging onto the fence to stand up at one point. And he went for he went for a submission. And I was I was literally hands on my head going, you may have just blown your chance to finish Tyron Woodley here. But no, locked up a Dars choke, got the tap, first round finish, huge win for Luke. Biggest win for Luke in his career. Now he needs a really big fight next, a Gilbert Burns or uh, a Leon Edwards or a Wonder. Well, he's already fought Wonder Boy, but so Colby Covington, someone of that ilk uh, to get him into a title fight. But Tyron Woodley's now lost four on a spin, but he looked good in that fight. He looked back to his, not back to his best. He looked back to what we're, you know, what we'd missed from him. But then he got rocked. Then he got submitted. So what on earth happens for Tyron Woodley next? Because there are a lot of positives. He was doing well until he wasn't, you know. Um, and uh, I don't know what his status is with the UFC right now. Are they going to keep him around? Dana White didn't exactly uh, leap up and say, yeah, he's staying. It sounded to me very much like they might be, uh, they might not be in a Tyron Woodley business for too much longer. So what was your take on it? Because it was kind of a bittersweet thing for him. Looked much improved but then fell to his fourth straight defeat. Yeah, there was definitely some urgency with his performance. And he had definitely, you could tell, he had a, a fire lit inside him because it was going really well, like you said, until it wasn't. And it was a fantastic fight. Ended up getting, you know, a fight of the night honors. And it's tough, man. You know, his run now, four straight losses, and it's former champions, former title challengers to now top 10 contender. So if he fights again, if the UFC do give him another fight, it's got to be someone outside of the top 10 maybe. It's got to be someone maybe outside the top 15. Just someone that he can fight just to, just to get a litmus test going. Is like, can Tyron Woodley actually get, still get a job done? You know, period. Can he win a fight in the UFC right now? Because that's what we're looking at. Before we even dream or think about putting him up against you know, someone that's coming off some serious momentum or someone that's a, a, a highly ranked opponent because I don't think you can book him against a highly ranked opponent right now. You just can't. And then I start thinking about what Dana White and the UFC have been doing over the last six months. Dana White said there's going to be a, a massive cull. We've seen some big names go. Very recently, Junior DeSantos, Alistair Overeem, Tyron Woodley is a former champion. And I'm sure he gets, you know, prayed pretty well um, for you know, his fights in the UFC. So given the fact that he's coming off four losses, do the UFC still keep him around? Who knows? It's going to be fascinating to keep an eye on this situation. Um, yeah, but I don't know. It's, it's, it's a weird one, isn't it, Simon? Because he's a great guy. You, you, and, and you hate to see former champions and, and good guys go on runs like this. But that's the fight game, man. It, it, it can really can be a punch to the gut when you see someone of his stature, of his ability, just for some reason for, or, or another, not be able to put it all together. And he's now got four losses in a row. That is so, so tough. So if anything, I, I wish and I hope the UFC keep him around for one more. Of course, that is, of course, if he still wants to continue to fight. If he feels still good enough about competing and he wants to, to fight again, then more power to him. And if, in, like I said, if the UFC do keep him around, I think you've got to go in the complete opposite direction um, and maybe perhaps give him the closest thing we could possibly get to a warm-up fight. 
just so that he can get his mojo going again, get his hand raised in victory, and, and then think about maybe building him up again. It kind of reminds me a little bit of the Carlos Conde situation where he, he was facing all these losses and then all of a sudden he's got a couple of wins under his belt. Still not close to showing the, the kind of form that led him to interim welterweight championship, uh, but a win's a win and that goes a long way in the UFC. Yeah, the difference for me between the Condit situation and the Woodley situation is I've always had the impression, rightly or wrongly, that Tyron Woodley's relationship with the UFC has always been a, a slightly uneasy one. I've always had that sort of impression. I think like when he like when he was champion, I think there were sort of grumblings of discontent about not getting not getting the sort of the promotional push that he was hoping for and stuff like this. Um Carlos Condit is a renowned crowd pleaser, former interim champion. Uh, the fans love him universally. Uh, Woodley's a bit more of an acquired taste. You know, there are there are as many people who don't like him as there are who do. Um, and um, I think there is what if sort of looking at it through the UFC's glasses, if you like, I think there's one more fight. If you wanted to stick Tyron around, keep him around for one more, there is one more fight that you could potentially give him um, that kind of fits the criteria that you laid out in that maybe not put him in with a ranked opponent. I don't think they're in the business of building Tyron Woodley back up again. I think it would be a case of fight this guy, you beat him, then you're a contender again. I don't think it's a case of a, a reclamation project. And that man is is Hamzat Chimaev. Hamzat Chimaev versus Tyron Woodley, I think, would work on a number of levels because Chimaev has lost the Leon Edwards fight. Um, Leon's obviously going off and doing other things, more of which on the show uh, a little bit later. Um, he wants he wants a big name opponent. Tyron Woodley, if he's still sticking around in the UFC, is going to need somebody who perhaps isn't in that little rank bracket at the top, but has got some level of clout, some level of star power. That if he gets a win, it catapults him back up there. Whereas if you're the UFC and you put Hamza in there with Tyron and he smokes Tyron the same way he smokes everybody else, then they can stick him straight in the championship picture, no questions asked. And uh, I think that it, it works from all different angles, but I do wonder whether he'll still be around to uh, to take on such an option. If I was Tyron and I had the option right now, I think the Bellator welterweight division is looking pretty attractive right now. They're, they've got a lot of good fighters at 170 pounds uh, over at Bellator, and I think he would fit in quite nicely. He's fought for Scott Coker before um, from his old strike force days, so that might not be a bad idea for him. Um I think he's probably missed missed the boat when it comes to the PFL in 2021, at least. Um, so who knows? Maybe Bellator might not be a bad landing spot for him. But yeah, if he sticks around in the UFC, I won't be at all surprised to see him matched up with Hamza Chimaev next. What do you reckon on that? Love it. Why not? The Wolf seems to be back in the gym. He seems to be in, in good health. Yeah, why not? Um, I, th- I think you know Hamza Chimaev is one of those guys that, he had so much momentum and then all of a sudden we thought, Oh, Oh my God, you know, due to COVID and issues, is he going to, is he going to retire? And, and at one point we were like, this could be a major story. You know, one of the, the highly talented prospects in the UFC who had all this hype built around him in 2020, just completely losing it due to a, a massive health scare. So yeah, I'm all for it. Honestly, if he's in full health right now and back to a hundred percent, I am absolutely chomping at the bit to see him compete again 
because if he is able to build up on the form of last year, and like, look, Kevin Holland, a lot of wind got taken out of his sails very recently. He wasn't able to really continue the momentum of last year. I want to see if Hamza can, because if he can, he's someone that could be a major star in the UFC, like a legit major star, because every time there's a story or anything on social about Hamza, it does crazy numbers. The man's got a crazy, crazy fan base, man. It's, it, it has to be said. Yeah, yeah. It's uh, it's going to be interesting to see what he does. I mean, we had a story on MMA Junkie this week where he scared him. He scared himself. He was coughing up blood after a training session, and he was like, he, he started worrying that he'd got some sort of cancer or something. And uh, but it's just lingering effects of COVID. He launched himself into training far too early, far too hard. I think he's tapered things right back. Um, and I think he's easing his way back in. So fingers crossed uh, Hamzat is able to uh, shake off any lingering effects, gets himself back to full fitness. And uh, when he gets in the cage, we get to see him at 100%, whoever they put him in uh, against for his next fight in the UFC. Someone who we were looking forward to fight, uh, see him fight in the UFC was our very own Darren Till, Sandu. And uh, I think he was due to fight weekend after next. And uh, we found out, Last night, I think it was um, that it, it's all gone. It's all gone badly wrong for him. Um, he broken his collarbone in training. Uh, put a, a big post up on social media, uh, apologising to Marvin Vittori, and uh, basically laying out the situation. And uh, for a guy who has worked his way up to the point where he's arguably one win away from challenging, challenging for the middleweight title against Israel Adesanya. Now he's got a broken collarbone. That's going to take a little bit of while to repair and to and to get strong again. And uh, he's got he's got to take things easy. And then he's probably going to have to fight once or twice to get himself back to the top of the pecking order again. So terrible news for the gorilla. And uh, you know we wish him our best. And uh, hopefully he's uh, he's back soon. Man, what a punch to the gut this was. Un really unfortunate news. Uh, what's interesting about this is it was going to be prime time for UK fans. It was going to be a, a midday card uh, for North America. Interesting, the UFC has never put on an event on the same day as a WrestleMania. And so WrestleMania night one takes place next Saturday. And so if you're a combat sports fan and a pro wrestling fan, you would have been made up because you could enjoy the UFC and then have that lead you right into night one of WrestleMania. Anyway, more to the point, it was going to be prime time for everybody in the UK. And, and that was the whole tee up for this. That's why this was a big event and a big opportunity for Darren Till is to get as many British eyeballs on it via BT Sport. So, so unfortunate, absolutely gutted for him. Obviously, it doesn't get any more serious than a, a, a bone, a collarbone fracture so wish him a speedy recovery um and and, who, and let's see how quickly he can recover because if the ufc end up going down this path of uh vittori versus holland and it looks like holland got the call up big mouth got the call uh, to step in on short notice if that's the fight that we end up getting depending on who wins and what the potential turnaround could be if it's vittori make maybe they can run it back with darren till and try and make that fight happen a second time if it's holland that wouldn't be a bad fight either, right? What's crazy about this whole situation is is the middleweight champion plus his coach, Eugene Barman and Israel Adesanya, both said all Darren has to do is show up and win. 
and essentially the title fight would have been his. And this is no knock on anybody else as a top contender or put a, a win streak together in the middleweight division. But clearly, from the Israel Adesanya camp, they know they can do big business with Darren Till. They know that Till would do a really great job in promoting and marketing and hyping up the fight and get a lot of eyeballs on it. That's a, a fight, you know, you could definitely pack out an arena, depending on which part of the world, a stadium, whether it's New Zealand, the UK. I know Darren Till has wanted to do an, an, a fight in Anfield for a very long time. I know Israel Adesanya has you know, always been up for perhaps doing a big sellout show in the UK as well. And if everyone can get vaccinated and the, the, the timing of the fight is right and everything can, can be done you know, safely, then why not, right? So you could tell a lot of people in the business and sport were absolutely gutted for Till, none more so than himself and his team. So let's see what happens. We wish him a speedy recovery, Simon, uh, because the fight game is a, a much better place, especially for the British contingent, media and broadcast partners when Darren Till is performing and most importantly, winning. Absolutely. Six to eight weeks is the usual sort of recovery time for a broken collarbone. Assuming the break is a relatively clean one and there's not any real complications with it. Um, six to eight weeks is your, your, your sort of ballpark figure for recovering for uh from you know from an injury like that so that's the kind of timeline that I'm, I'm assuming Darren will be looking at um before he can get himself back into training again then he'll have to go into a training camp so really we're looking the back end of the summer uh being optimistic uh before we'll see him back in the octagon again bad news for one Liverpool based fighter good news for another Liverpool uh, Liverpool based fighter Paddy the Baddy Pimlet is finally a UFC fighter. Uh, could not be happier for the guy. He has been within touching distance of the UFC for years and has not never quite managed to uh, get that UFC contract. You know, he was the featherweight champion for a while. Looked like all he had to do was beat Nad Naramani. The UFC was sniffing around at that point. But if he beats Nad Naramani, he goes to the UFC. Nad Naramani beats him, takes his title, and he goes to the UFC. Then he moves up to lightweight. He's supposed to be fighting. Soren back. UFC are watching very closely. Can he win the vacant lightweight title? He he has Soren back in a rear naked choke in the first round. Soren back, who is some sort of zombie, survives and then wins a decision to win the lightweight title. And he goes to Bellator, took a better offer than the one that the UFC offered him. Uh, he got offers from both. He went to Bellator, took the bigger offer, and again, Paddy misses out. Then Paddy's trying to work his way back. COVID hits. He can't get any. He can't get a fight. He's had he's had something like three or four fights called off in the last eighteen months. Finally, he gets a fight in the pandemic. His opponent falls through because he can't get to the fight. Decky Dalton steps over from Ireland. He beats him, but it's it's not a, a massive name. Doesn't do much for him. Now if this. Uh, Two weeks ago, he fought the guy who he was supposed to fight, David Martinez or David Martinez from <laughs> from Italy. Beats him in brilliant fashion. So you watch the watch the sequence of how he finished him. Had a bit of everything, and uh, straight after that, walks around a cage, telling him, telling the UFC, give him a call. He got the call. He's now a UFC fighter. He's already talking about fighting at Anfield. Can you imagine that? Darren Till, Israel Adesanya in the main event. Paddy the Baddy versus any lightweight you can find in the co-main event. I, I would love I would love to see that. Um, the, uh, the 
the the English weather might have something to say about this, but if if we ever saw an octagon on the pitch in Anfield, that would be one of the all time great atmospheres in UFC history. I'd love to see it. Yeah. So this is the hundred and fourth Cage Warriors fighter to get signed by the UFC once again. Just an incredible track record. It's 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 a it's a proven path where if you can have success in Cage Warriors, there is a a likelihood that the UFC will come knocking, if that is your ultimate goal, of course, to, to get into the UFC. And and Paddy kind of you know really played this interesting because he had an opportunity to sign a while ago. He declined. He wanted to, in his own words, let his body mature. He wanted to grow into his his man body, and he feels he's comfortable now at 26 years of age physically uh, to be able to hold his own with the best of the UFC. And he is someone that's going to be always be a great interview, got a great personality. He's part of this wave of fighters emerging from the Liverpool MMA scene. And yeah, like you said, you got Darren Till and you got Paddy the Baddy Pimblet, and it's almost like a race. Who who can who can be there first, you know? And I wonder if if they both end up on the same card, who will headline? Who will be on the undercard? And I'm sure they'll have a bit of back and forth and some banter about that as well. But they've both been pulling for it and they've both got passionate fan, fan bases. And I think regardless of who headlines over who and, and, and all the rest of it, the two of them combined would easily sell out a show in Anfield. Absolutely 100%. Doesn't matter who they're fighting. It really doesn't because those two guys have got just the most passionate fan base and support in that Liverpool area. Um, so yeah, it's fun. This is this is great, isn't it, Simon? It's a, it's a fun signing. It's another Brit in the UFC making some noise, and he's got some higher and big ambitions. And I'm I'm fascinated now to see how the story progresses, who he fights, how he performs, how he handles the pressure, how he handles the spotlight. If Anfield isn't going to be happening anytime soon, depending on how the world is by the end of the year, I'm pretty sure. Q1 of 2022, the UFC will return to London for their traditional UFC event in the capital of the nation. And it wouldn't be Anfield, it wouldn't be Liverpool, it wouldn't be the Echo Arena. But having another Brit involved on a card like that would really help sell the tickets, get bums on seats, and more importantly, get a fan base uh, you know, growing for you outside of the your hometown of Liverpool. So yeah, this is an absolute slam dunk home run win for all parties concerned and I'm, I'm all for it man um, I'm, I'm aboard that train choo choo let's do this Paddy the Baddy Pimblet in the UFC let's see how far he can go it's going to be a lot of fun it's going to be a lot of fun and I would love to be I would love to be cage side even, even if it's at the Echo Darren Till Paddy the Baddy and let's not forget Molly McCann get all mm-hmm. three of them on the card and um, as the top three fights on the card and uh, those those fans up there in uh, in Liverpool would absolutely take the roof off the Echo. Um, it was pretty memorable last time Darren Till fought there for the Wonder Boy Thompson fight. That walk out to Sweet Caroline, I think that was the first time he walked out to it. Um, that was proper goosebumps on goosebumps stuff um, on on a, on an absolutely crazy weekend um, in Liverpool that that year. And uh, yeah, fingers crossed. Once we get back to having arena shows again, we can. We can really show the best of British MMA on the big stage. Get all of those uh, Liverpudlian fighters on a card in Liverpool. Let's make it happen. There's no reason why not to. It would be ludicrous not to. So uh, fingers crossed we can see that 
Um, if not this year, then definitely early in 2022. That is not the last British fighter we want to talk about, Losandu. We had some massive news. I mean, just to just to sort of pull back the curtain a little bit, this show was normally gets recorded on a Monday. And uh, for reasons I don't understand, I've just been completely hit by a truck with some sort of bug. Feels like you've got a cold coming on. And but I've, it, from a body perspective, it feels like I've got the complete full on flu, but I've got no cold or anything. It's really weird. And uh, it completely wiped me out Monday. So we had to we had to knock the recording on the head Monday. It's now Wednesday. And in that gap, we've had Darren Till breaking his collarbone. But we've also had Leon Edwards has a fight booked. Ladies and gentlemen, Leon Edwards is going to fight Nate Diaz in a five-round welterweight co-main event fight. First time that's ever happened, by the way, a five-round co-main event that isn't a title fight. Um, at UFC 262. The main event of that, of course, Charles Oliveira, Michael Chandler for the new undisputed UFC lightweight title. That fight card, which we'll talk about in a bit, is bananas. But Leon has got himself an absolutely huge fight, and I could not be happier for the guy. Leon Edwards, Nate Diaz, Sandu, what was your reaction when you first saw this? Perfect, just perfect. Nate Diaz is back. We want to see one of the biggest draws and one of the biggest stars and one of the biggest names in the sport compete as often as possible. So it seems like on his side, he's happy with the deal. And for Leon Edwards, you know, we obviously know what he's capable of, but he's perhaps just been lacking that big fight to get other other casual fans and get some more eyeballs on him to really prop him up as someone that can then go on to challenge Kamaru Usman for a title. And also in that process to showcase more of his story, his background, where he comes from, uh, what he's all about, his personality. And a fight with Nate Diaz is definitely going to get you a lot of publicity, that's for sure. The fact that this is a five-round non-title fight co-main event is incredible to me, Simon, because we have wanted this for other potential fights because sometimes there's just matchups that you get. You're like, Ooh, I get it. It's nice to have it as a part of a main card. I would love to see two more rounds of that, or I'd love for this fight to be a five round fight. And the UFC have changed the rules here. And I've got to think they've done this specifically for Nate Diaz, you know, whatever the, the behind the scenes negotiations have gone on it, I, I'm pretty confident. And I'm sure we'll find out when Nate does his interview and Leon does his interview, why and how this ended up being a five round fight on this card, the first of its kind in UFC history. But yeah, I mean, hopefully this is set a precedent now where maybe other fighters, you know, when they're talking about particular matchups can ask for a five round fight. It's, you know what makes sense about five round fights when it's a non-title fight is like, look, if the, if the winner of this fight is going to fight for a title, then why not make it a five-round fight? Because then they're going to almost have that preparation in place for a title fight, which is always five rounds, right? So there's always a good argument for it and a good case for it. And yeah, I'm happy that the UFC have, like I said, changed the rules a little bit here. Um, and they've set this precedent. And man, I can't wait. That card, by the way, is absolutely stacked. It's insane. Currently, as things stand, Simon, this is the UFC 262 main card. Let's have it. Charles Oliveira. Charles Oliveira versus Michael Chandler for the vacant UFC lightweight championship. That's a five-round main event. 
Then you've got Leon Edwards versus Nate Diaz, a five-round co-main event. Then you've got Tony Ferguson versus Benil Dariush on that card, on that main card. Then you've got Shane Burgos versus Edson Barboza, also as a part of that main card. That's your fight uh, of the night, That's your fight of the night. And then you've got Hermanson versus Shabazian, also on that main card. I mean, Jesus Christ. How, how is this fight card and how are those fights individually and collectively not going to deliver the goods? I mean, I'm already chomping at the absolute bit. And the fact that it's going to be in Houston, the fact that there's going to be fans there, fingers crossed everyone's safe and vaccinated and it's all, you know, good on, on the COVID side of things. But, I mean, you know, Dana White said that the UFC is back a couple of weeks ago with the announcement of Usman versus Masvidal 2 taking place in Jacksonville. And they sold out tickets for that particular event in a matter of what minutes, apparently, according to reports. But now we're really starting to see what this means. When, when the UFC is back and they're firing on all cylinders and they're able to get particular fights made and they're able to stack these cards the way that they have done now, this is what really gets uh, the juices flowing. And I'm looking forward to the fight. Like I said, massive opportunity for Leon. Great thing that Nate Diaz is going to be back. So, and again, fascinating to see where do, does the winner and loser of this whole scenario go. Um, man, I'm I'm excited. I'm hyped. I'm pumped. I can't wait. Let the good times roll. Yeah, there's so it's 13 fights booked for this card. It's nuts. Kathleen Shikagian's fighting Vivian Araujo in that. That could be a title eliminator for the women's flyweight division. If you're a fan of the little guys going at it, Alex Perez versus Matt Sch Matt Schnell is going to be an absolute banger at flyweight. Andrea Lee's facing Antonina Shevchenko. Um, that Jacare Souza's on the card. I mean, there's there's all manner of fights on here. That there's, there's a bit of something for everyone. It is an absolutely stacked fight card. But the thing I love about this Leon Edwards Nate Diaz matchup, aside from the five round thing, which is obviously, I think a big a big thing, and um, it sets a precedent now, um, and I'll, more of which in a second. But this is a fight that I think this sets things up really nicely. Leon Edwards, if he wins, is going to get himself a title shot. One would imagine, right? But what does Nate Diaz get out of this fight? This is a fight that gets Nate Diaz back into circulation. This is number one. Get him back in the mix. This gets him back in the mix. If he beats Leon Edwards, he'll get the title shot. Don't make no bones about it. That will have been pre-agreed, right? And who would that title shot be against? It'll either be against Kamara Usman or it'll be a rematch, the BMF rematch with Jorge Masvidal. Now, if Leon Edwards beats Nate Diaz and Kamara Usman beats Jorge Masvidal, you've got two rematches you can book on the same card. Edwards versus Usman for the belt. Masvidal versus Diaz for the belt. What it also does, it gives another option for Conor McGregor. If Conor McGregor loses to Dustin Poirier again, that effectively takes him out of the championship pitcher at 155 pounds. What's his natural next step? Back up to 170 or 165 or whatever you want to do, do the trilogy with Nate Diaz because he's back in the mix again. So whatever happens here, Nate Diaz is in a position where he could take any one of a number of fights next, regardless of if he wins or loses against Leon. Leon Edwards, if he wins, gets a title shot. If he loses, he's back in the pack and he'll have to fight his way back. But the main thing here is Nate Diaz. Nate Diaz isn't coming back just for a one and done with Leon Edwards. 
he's got bigger fish to fry. With all respect to Leon, Nate's doing this to tee up other stuff. So he's got options. It could be Conor McGregor. It could be it could be uh, Jorge Masvidal, irrespective of how Masvidal does in his title fight with Usman. So you could perm any number of different outcomes here. Nate Diaz is getting a huge fight after the Leon Edwards fight. And I think doing the five-round co-main event thing sets up two things. Number one, it gives the UFC more promotional latitude to do this again. But what it also does is it's insurance. Because if Conor McGregor loses again, it's and, and or, or if Nate Diaz loses, you're still going to want these guys at the top of the card. You're still paying them top dollar. But if you can't get them in a main event, you could put him in a coma. The thought of Conor McGregor in a co-main event sounds absolutely insane, but they might do it for a John Jones, Francis Ngannou fight at Allegiant Stadium with a hundred thousand people in the building. Do you know what I mean? They could do Conor McGregor on that card as a five-round co-main event with no belt against Nate Diaz. That would almost make sense. So I just think it opens doors. It gives them more promotional latitude. It's something that they probably should have done ages ago. Um, but I'm pleased that they're doing it now. And I'm great. I'm, I'm, I'm really happy that it's happening for Leon Edwards. The one person who we do need to mention, Sandu, is Bilal Mohammed. Bilal Mohammed is kind of the odd man out right now. I really hope that he gets a big fight. I hope that they give him a Colby or someone, a wonder boy, someone who's right up there in the mix, ranked in and around where Leon was so that he isn't kind of done dirty by the whole situation because as much as we are the Brit pack and we're, you know, we're keeping an eye out for the Brits and we want to see the Brits do well. Bilal Mohammed did absolutely nothing wrong here. He got, he got poked in the eye. That fight got stopped through no fault of his. Leon did it accidentally, but it was still him that did it. Bilal did nothing and had the biggest opportunity of his career taken off the table. So I hope the UFC do right by him and give him the sort of stature of opponent that he really deserves next. If he's not getting Leon, it should be a Wonder Boy or a Colby or maybe a Vicente Luque now that he's moved up. Maybe that's a useful, a useful little development for the UFC. But um, yeah, I just wanted to make sure that we remember the name, Sandu, of Bilal Mohammed and, uh, you know, give him, give him due props and put it out there. He deserves, he deserves to be, uh, to be suitably set up for a next fight as well. Simon, I was just thinking about it. We've got, not officially announced, but all reports are leading to a July 10th showdown between Dustin Poirier and Conor McGregor. That's a trilogy. Conor McGregor is back. Nate Diaz is back against Leon Edwards. Jorge Masvidal is back against Kamara Usman. We are talking about the three biggest names, the three biggest draws in the sport who are all going to be competing in the next couple of months. Had Khabib not retired, he would have been in the mix right as, as a legitimate top-end draw in uh, i'm talking about box office social media traffic pay-per-view buys bums on seats ticket sales merchandise all the rest of it these lads tick all the boxes if they can just figure out this deal between john jones and francis and garnu my goodness this could be an, this could literally be simon an all-time banner year for the ufc in terms of not just revenue but in terms of our side of things as people that work in the media i mean this is what we want this is, you know, what keeps our keeps us employed, right? This is what it's keeps the money coming in. Yeah. yeah, keep the lights on. This is what we want. This is when the, when the sport, and in particular when the UFC, is firing on absolute all cylinders and they've got all the major players back onto the scene. Man, there is nothing like it whatsoever. 
Yeah, it's mad. So many big fights. So many big fights. If we take the view that the Connor fight is basically a done deal, let's 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 be slightly presumptuous with that one. Let's not assume that the uh, the Ngannou Jones fight is on the table yet. Let's keep that one off to one side. Based on what's booked already, what's the one fight that leaps out to you, Sandu, and is the one that over and above the rest, if there is one? That you say this is the one that has really grabbed me, and uh, I cannot wait for that one in particular because there's so many, there's so many to choose from. There are that's a tough question. I'm, I'm, I'm inclined to choose either the Diaz Leon fight or the McGregor Poirier fight, and I think I'm just, just slightly going to lean towards the Poirier McGregor trilogy. And the reason I say that is Connor is the biggest star in the sport. There is a lot riding on this fight. It's not a title fight. It will be the end of a trilogy, but you're only as good as your last performance. And his last performance, he lost. He got finished by Dustin Poirier. To lose back-to-back to the same guy, and if Poirier is able to finish him again, I really think that is going to have a detrimental impact on Conor McGregor's star power and his ability to draw moving forward in combat sports in the UFC fan base. So I feel like the stakes are high in this one. Because, and the thing is, it's almost like you know risk and reward. If he's able to win, he ends the trilogy on a high note. It's two and one in his favor. And then not only is he back, but he's back and then some. You know what I mean? So, And I feel like Conor McGregor will always be a draw, but I'm just talking about his, his ceiling. You know, like... Conor McGregor can lose and still fight three or four times. And listen, those events would still do plenty well. No, no doubt about it, right? But when you're, I'm talking about the, you know, flames from a burning sun of how hot you are as a star in this sport only comes and the whole package comes together when you're winning. And it's what got him to the dance in the first place. That run to the Aldo fight, the Eddie Alvarez fight, he got the Mayweather fight takes a knock against Khabib, come, comes back, which is which was essentially a warm-up fight in Donald Cerrone, isn't able to compete for, for a hot minute due to COVID, comes back against a legitimate elite-level fighter, top contender, Dustin Poirier, doesn't look good, gets finished. A lot is riding on this fight, and it's going to be a part of that whole summer, July 4th week you know, type feel of event, which has historically always been a banner event and a banner week international fight week and all the rest of it for the ufc in las vegas the stake's going to be big and i'm curious to see if conor mcgregor can once again rise to the occasion and almost repeat what he's capable of doing and what he has done in the past so for me the one fight on the radar over the next three or four months i'm looking forward to most is dustin poirier versus conor mcgregor three yeah it's, it's like one of those uh it's like those tweets. They say, comment on this, wrong answers only. Well, there are no wrong answers with this. There are so many amazing fights. For me, it's the title fight at 155 pounds. Charles Oliveira versus Michael Chandler because for so long we had Khabib ruling the roost at 155. And then for so long we had the whole lingering issue of the UFC like sort of a spurned lover that wouldn't give it up, desperately trying to get Khabib to come back. That's now done with the division moves on and this is the start of a new era 
at 155 pounds. And I can see this as an era where the belt might change hand a few, change hands a few times over the coming coming months and years. But for me, the lightweight division, I think the bantamweight division, probably pound for pound, is the most talented division in the UFC. But the lightweight division for me is the marquee division. It's it's the division where most human beings, that's the kind of average height and size we're talking in terms of in terms of athletes, you know, that 155 pound division. Um, and this is where this is where all the big business is being done right now. There's so much going on, and I cannot wait to see whether Charlie Olives can finally get himself a championship belt or whether Michael Chandler could continue to prove that he is the real deal at 155. And uh, everyone can see him at the top, as he likes to put at the end of every social media post. So, And that then tees up a whole load of other fights. And Chandler, even this week, he's basically turned around and said, I think Charles Oliveira can, can be broken in fights. And he also then went on and said, if Chandler goes on and beats Oliveira, he fully expects his first title defence to come against Conor McGregor. So all roads, you know, Conor's got his finger in a lot of pies in the UFC. He can fight at 170. He's got the Diaz fight. The Masvidal fight is a fight that hasn't even been spoken about for ages. That's always lingering out there as a potential fight. Um, he could even move up and challenge for the belt if he beats Diaz. Who knows? Um, we've got the We've got the... The trilogy fight but for me get that lightweight division up and running again and uh, the ufc is going to be absolutely fl absolutely flying by the time we get to august by the time we get to august all hell will have broken loose we'll have uh you know we won't know what to do with ourselves we barely have time to record because there'll be news breaking all over the place it'll be nuts well that's a fun thing about all these fights that we have coming up and you kind of referenced it earlier on simon it's it's a knock-on effect it's, it's the potential future fights and the future matchups that what you know these upcoming bouts uh, can have because regardless of who wins or loses, there's going to be a route and a path for another big fight for a lot of these guys. So yeah, I mean, I think we're definitely now through the worst of it with regards to pandemic fights, COVID fights. It's been a tough year for everyone involved, for people that work in the business, for the UFC, trying to make fights, put on events, for the fighters to compete. Um, you know, there's still plenty of fighters that haven't had a chance to fight at all uh, during this entire period, which is unfortunate because that's how they're making a living and how they put food on the table. So yeah, it's just, it's great. It's, it's just fantastic. And, you know, it's, it's, almost, it's a nice little reminder of what this sport can be when, like I said, it is firing on absolute all cylinders and no one does it like the UFC, man. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, you know, so much going on, so much happening in, in the UFC. And that's betting without Bellator, which we're going to get on our screen starting this weekend. UFC, sorry, Bellator 255. You'll be able to get that on, on iPlayer, the first, first fight in a new massive deal for Bellator over here in the UK. So that'll be Friday night, Patricio Pitbull versus... Emmanuel Sanchez, that's a rematch for the featherweight title in the semi-finals of the featherweight Grand Prix. So that's Friday night. Um, gap week for the UFC, but then we're back uh, after that. And then uh, we're building up to UFC 261 and then obviously UFC 262. And uh, on and on we go. But that is, I think, probably just about enough for, the, for this episode of the Brit Pack. Absolutely loads going on. Uh, we didn't even get around to talking about the uh, the Jake Paul Ben Askren shenanigans this week. Maybe we'll we'll crowbar that in next week because 
um, I think uh, I think you've got a little bit of work on going with that. So uh, we mm-hmm. might be able to we might be able to reference a bit of that on next week's show. But uh, yeah, I think the whole the whole thriller boxing thing is is getting interesting, and uh, we'll see how all this works into the uh, the combat sports ecosystem over the course of the next few weeks and months. But yeah, it is getting busy, and I absolutely love it. And uh, it's going to get busier when we go to video soon, Sandu. We're not too far mm-hmm. off. And uh, we'll eventually uh, show the world our ugly mugs, and they can uh, they can all hit the thumbs down button on uh, on YouTube. Yeah, exactly. We can get creative with our thumbnails, like everybody else does on 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 the YouTube platform. But yeah, that being said, YouTube, 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 go there now, guys. It's an audio version only of the show, but it will be video very very soon. We would love for you to support us there. Go there, like, subscribe, hit that bell, get notifications. Uh, for our future content and it won't just be the show you know primarily it will always be anchored by the weekly show but we're looking forward to creating some unique content specifically for youtube that being said we're still there available for you guys on the britpack.substack.com we're of course available on our website the britpackmma.com and if you want to follow us on social media it's the britpackmma simon is at simon head on Twitter at Simon Head Sport on Facebook, Instagram. I am at Sandu MMA on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. And for those of you that do listen to the audio version of the show as it currently stands on Spotify, fantastic, thank you. But for those of you that listen to us on Apple, Apple Podcast, rate and review us. It takes 30 seconds. It really does. And if you're able to take that time out of your you know schedule and just go through the Apple Podcast platform hit five stars or how many of the stars you want to give us and drop a little comment, giving us your feedback and reviewing the show. You doing that helps us in the most incredible way, because that's what helps shows and podcasts get found by new potential listeners who are into MMA on that particular platform. So if you can do that for us, that would be much appreciated. Yeah. And uh, it's funny I've, over the last probably last four or five weeks we've had a real bump in in uh, in listenership which is great to see we're getting more people joining uh joining the brit pack and, and and listening to us through whatever means it is uh whether it be through the podcast or whether it be through our, our audio stream on on youtube but eventually all roads will lead to our youtube channel as sandu said and uh we'll start to get a bit more creative and do uh do some more fun stuff as as the weeks and months progress Thanks for, t- thanks for checking out the show this week. A big show, a bit longer than the hour that I promised you. Hour and ten. That'll do. Say ten minutes extra. And uh, we'll be back next week to, uh, to talk through whatever happened in the seven days ahead. It's, uh, it's all getting busy you know, on Planet MMA, and we will unpack all of it on the Brit Pack next week.